Um, hey, good morning, church. Um, that was harder than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> um, I realized here recently in the last couple of years um, something about how I grew up. Um, I am, have never really considered myself a very patriotic person. Um, we, I grew up much like them saying the Pledge of Allegiance every day to the flag, and it didn't ever embed itself in my heart in the way that I felt like it had in other generations. And as I grew older, I came to understand that there were different reasons why people had an allegiance to the flag. There were some people who gave a whole lot, who laid down whole sections of their lives in order to go and serve their country and be a part of the military. And so that, the pledge to that flag meant a whole lot to them. But for me, as a bratty middle, middle schooler, who like, you know, if it, if it didn't happen in my immediate vicinity, had nothing to do with me. Like, I couldn't wrap my head around, well, it's just a flag. Like, I, di I didn't understand everything that it represented. And as I grew up, I came to understand more and more of what it represented. And at the same time, God was bringing me to a place where I was like, well, that's great that this country exists and it's great that we're here, but like, my allegiance is to God. And God is over the whole country. And like, do I really, like if I, if, I, if I have an allegiance to the flag, does that come in conflict with my allegiance to God? And so I say all of that, because I'm sure y'all are real confused at this point. I say all of that just to say that I was never really patriotic up until the last couple of years. And what I tried to articulate to Kid Nation terribly, but tried, um, was that God put me here in this country and all of the history, good and bad, of this country at this specific time for a special place and that I was blessed to belong here, to be here at this time. That there are hundreds of different countries in the world at this time that I wasn't born into and I didn't have a, a say. Like God didn't, you know, before I was born, God didn't say, all right, where do you want to go? He didn't ask my permission for where he placed me, but he just placed me. And beyond that, all the thousands of countries that have existed over the whole continuum of time, like, he didn't ask me when I wanted to be born. I just was born. And so now, as I grow and I just am learning about, you know, God's place in the world, which is kind of above it all, and then his sovereign work in every other country, including my own, it, it gives me a different kind of an understanding of what it is and gives me a different affinity, a different affection towards the flag and for the country that it represents over the generations because my affection for the flag is different from your affection for the flag. And the reason I know this is I've been to the dog park. Have, has anybody ever been to the dog park? The dog park? Um, in town here, <laughs> yeah, in town here, there's a dog park, and it's a plot of land that's surrounded by a fence uh, in which the dogs roam free. People bring their dogs to the dog park and take the dogs off the leash, and the dogs have roll, uh, control over the place. It is a different experience. If you've never done it, I'd encourage you, not only because it's fun to be under dog rule, but also because people act different when their dogs are in charge. Um, and it's fun. But I've sat in the dog park uh, for a number of years um, as, a, as a part of the work that I was doing. And I got to sit with men who had served in the military and who had a strong affection for the flag of our country and who would say vehemently, I don't know if you've ever talked to a group of old men. They have very like, loosely held opinions that they don't share very, very readily. 
There we go. Okay. <laughs> Who would say, like, every young man needs to serve in the military. Like, that was their, their whole, like, you need to serve in the military in order to, before you graduate and all this stuff, they had these great schemes of how the world would work. And then I would press them on, like, not press them, but I'd ask further questions about how it is that they felt about the country and the way that it was going and things like that. And they'd be like, well, this isn't the country that I serve. This isn't the country that I fought for. This isn't the country. And I'm like, okay, so you please realize that your generation had different things that you did and you did well and should be honored. And my generation has a different set of problems that we have to figure out how to, na to navigate ourselves. I say all of that to say that God places each of us in, a, in the time and the space that he wants us in for the season that he has us in for. And it's not applicable across everything, but it's what we have to deal with. There are things that I had to learn and things that I had to deal with being born into my family that you didn't have to deal with. And there are things that you've dealt with and learned in your family that I'll very rarely ever understand. Families are a little bit of a mystery to me. And yet, God can still be honored in all of those things. So this morning, we're going to talk about some other mysteries. Marriage will be related, and we'll come back to it definitely next week. Um, but we're going to be discussing other mysteries, and one of which is the country that we're born into. So let's pray together before we open God's Word. Jesus, thanks so much um, for your blessing. Thank you for the way that you work. Lord, thank you for <laughs> the freedom that we have to gather here this morning without fear of any violence, without fear of retribution or attack later in the week because we've gathered here, that we can openly proclaim that we are yours, that we belong to you, Jesus. And most of the people in our life are going to be fine with that. Lord, in the day that we might face suffering for your name, Lord, we pray that you'd give us boldness to do so with courage. But Lord, Today, we thank you for the peace that we enjoy at this time. And Lord, as we turn to your word, Lord, as it speaks to a situation that is somewhat removed from ours, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to see the unifying features of who you are in your grace and what it is that you've called your followers to do. And would you give us the grace to do that? It's in your name that we pray. Amen. So we're going to be continuing in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And it's on page 792. We're going to be on 792 in the Story Bibles this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I'm going to begin in verse 17. First Corinthians chapter 7. Page 792, verse 17, and I will read um, to verse 20 here. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision but keeping the commandments of God. I'm going to pause there. Um, so a little bit awkward for us to just come right out of it, and we're going to be talking about circumcision. Um, that is, 
I just want you to be aware, a specific mark that God gave to his people, the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, and said, this is how I want you to designate yourselves as my people. When you have a son, circumcise him on the eighth day. And that's how people, it's going to be a sign that you carry around with you in all of your generations, that you are my people that I've set you apart. And so, Paul is writing here and says, if you've been circumcised, he's, he's talking about the Jewish people specifically. If you were born into the Jewish nation, then you have this sign. You were born into it. God didn't ask your permission about where you were going to be born. He didn't ask your permission about when you were going to be born. And you, at eight days old, didn't get to make that decision. And yet, you carry it with you. So there are things that happened to you that you didn't have any control over. How do we deal with that? I was born an American. And there are things that America does that I don't think are in line with the Bible. How do I reconcile these things? Well, <clears throat> was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but, the keeping, uh, but keeping the commandments of God. See, Jesus' message turn the world upside down. Um, we tend to think of our world, maybe we feel this acutely at this point, uh, that, that culture is divided, that it's divisive. Uh, we're divided over racial lines, we're divided over gender lines, political lines, um, and questions of personal liberty. It seems like everybody out there disagrees with everybody else, and nobody can come to any kind of compromise or even sit in the same room and have a conversation with each other. Um, it, do we feel like that today? My suspicion is that, by and large, that is the case of human history. Knowing the human heart, by and large, that happens all the time, but sometimes we feel it more than other times. And the time to which Paul is writing here was another time of division. Although, and they had a division also of class. Like, there were lower classes and higher classes of people, and the thing there was that they literally never, ever, ever mixed. And Jesus walks into the world, which is divided in all these different camps by all these different ways, and everybody knows where they are on the spectrum, and you just stay in your spot. Jesus walks in and says, I give you all the same gift for free. Now, if you work with people who have nothing, and you say, I'm going to give you a gift for free, will they take it? Nothing's free, okay. True. If Jesus says, I've already paid this, I've bought this all by myself, I've paid a full price for this, and now I'm going to pass it on to you, and you're talking to people who have nothing, are they going to take it? Probably. If you talk to people who have everything, have the means to buy everything for themselves, and you say, oh, well, I've purchased this other thing that was even out of your reach, and now I give it to you for free, how do you interact with that? You take it. <laughs> Jesus comes in and says, hey, I know that there's a lot of things that you value as your own personal identity, and yet I'm giving you all the same gifts for free. I will give you salvation and a right relationship with God if you trust me to make the full payment for that. And so whether you're rich or poor, whether you are a Jew or a Gentile, whether you come from Ethiopia or you come from Greece or you come from Spain, like it doesn't matter. Wherever you, your background is, I give you all the same gift. And so now all of these people in these cities now find themselves gathered together in the same room and they're looking at each other and it's like, the world keeps telling us that we're divided and yet 
we've all been brought together gathering around the same light. So how do we interact with this? And there are people who were Jewish who were saying, well, I was born Jewish, but now I trust Jesus as the Messiah, and I'm living in kind of a Gentile world, so maybe I should reverse, have a surgery to reverse the marks, which I don't even want to try and imagine, but have a surgery to reverse what's happened so that I can speak the language better to the Gentiles. Or there were people who were not Jewish who came to Christ and believed Christ as this forgiver, forgiver of their sins and realized that Jesus was the Jewish Messiah and now realize, and this is kind of my story, realize like, oh, God was doing something very specific and, and personal in the nation of Israel. And like, I have a big value for people who are Jewish, who belong to God's family from the beginning. Like, maybe I should become Jewish in order to worship the God of the Bible. So I'm not Jewish, and I've learned about the value that God has for Jewish people. Maybe I want to be Jewish. Or I was born Jewish, and I realized that the Jewish Messiah came to redeem all people, not just the Jews. What do we do? And Paul writes, however you were when you were called, remain that way. You're all unified in Christ. Whatever your cultural assignment at birth, stay there. If you were born a Jew, stay a Jew. If you were born a Gentile, stay a Gentile. Worship Christ no matter what your cultural assignment is. Which we can agree to that. Like that's kind of a safe idea, but that means that we need to realize that when we say that, there are other Christians who will worship the same Jesus that we do with the same kind of authentic worship and it will look different from us. And that's okay. The songs that we sing are a cultural assignment. The language that we use, we speak English here. That's a cultural assignment. There are people who can authentically worship Jesus using different songs and using different languages. They can dress differently. I wear a collared shirt and long pants every Sunday because that's my cultural assignment. And some, of, some people would prefer that I wear a collared shirt buttoned up with a noose and tie around it and a, a jacket and shiny shoes. And that's their cultural assignment. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. I would do that, except that the culture that I'm speaking to, like, at some... I used to say the culture I was speaking to gets put off by all that formality, but then I'm watching Sports Center and I'm like, those guys are dressed to the nines. Like, why can't, anyway, that's a different thing. What I'm saying is that there are people who genuinely follow Jesus, who Christ has redeemed, and it's going to look different from us, and that's okay. And we can sit around the same table. In fact, we will sit around the same table in heaven and we'll genuinely worship God and it will look different. And at, on, on this plane that we're in right now, living, it can be uncomfortable sometimes when someone says, well, I was born Jewish, and so my genuine worship is very prescribed. My genuine worship is I've got three festivals a year that I've got to worship at, and I've got to bring, you know, all of this, like, I'm Jewish. I was born Jewish, and I'm, but I believe Jesus is the Messiah. He's redeemed that. And so I'm going to use these festivals and these appointment times and very structured religious service to point people to the true Messiah. And there's some people who are like, well, I was born a heathen and I play rock music and I don't really like structure and I just kind of make things up as I go. And like, there's a place for that too. There are biblical guidelines for both of them and they both err in some ways. 
And yet, it's all genuine worship. Are we on, are we on track with that? However somebody was at their call, what were you when you were called? What are we talking about when he says called? Because typically we think of when we're in the Bible, when we're thinking about a Bible story, we're thinking about somebody who's called as like a pastor. They have like this, this call of God on their life to do ministry, right? Like they're, they're set apart. They're taken out of the world and they're set apart to do ministry. And, 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 that, and that's their call. But that's, is that what he's talking about here? Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. Each person. Where were you when Jesus called your name and said, I want you to follow me? The call in Scripture isn't necessarily a call to ministry. It's a call to follow Jesus, and it's a call that each of us, when we've chosen to follow Jesus, receive. Now, what's interesting is I've actually heard people who are older than me. I don't think it's just a me thing, but I've heard people who are older than me complain about calling on their phone. They're like, like, I've got this smartphone, and like, when I think about calling, it's that little used phone app that I, that I hate. I'd just rather text me. Just text me and make sure that it's okay before you call me because I'm living my life. I got things going on. If that phone rings, I got to stop what I'm doing. I'm interrupted and I got to think about, okay, how am I get? I got to get in the mind space. We got to have a conversation. And we don't do calling anymore. It's interesting that the telephone technology has already evolved past, you know, actual voice-to-voice -voice conversations. But the call of Jesus is very much the same thing. I think there are very few of us who, when we think back about the time that Jesus called us, were like ready for the call. In some cases, he had sent us a couple text messages and we were kind of aware that he was doing a work. But for many of us, it was like, I just realized one day that I was on the wrong track. I was living my life in this way and then I got a call and my life was interrupted. I had to make a decision about whether I was going to pick up and answer the phone or whether I was going to hang up and walk away because I didn't want to deal with that right now. And the call of Jesus is essentially the same thing. But whatever your cultural assignment, when you were called, figure out how to honor Jesus in that. What's, what's our cultural assignment? Well, we're American as apple pie, and for many of us, we're Southern as sweet tea. Jesus can redeem sweet tea. And I'm the, I'm the one person who was kind of born in the South that, that does not like sweet tea. It's a cultural assignment that I did not accept and have rebelled against. <clears throat> but Jesus can be honored with sweet tea when it's shared in hospitality and a, and, a, and a heart of love. When we're generous with it and when we use our sweet tea to point people to Jesus as opposed to just, I'm Southern and I drink my sweet tea and don't you dare tell me that there are other teas in the world because I don't care if, if it ain't sweet, if I can't chew the sugar in it, it ain't sweet tea. Like you're fighting about the wrong thing. <laughs> Do you understand? Because our value is found in Jesus, not the circumstances of our life. Whatever our cultural assignment is, our value as people is not found in our cultural assignment. Our value isn't assigned as Americans is our connection to Jesus. Jesus can look at us and say, if you were born an American, stay an American because 
I bought you, you're mine. We kind of like being Americans, though, don't we? Like, that's not really a hard call for us. We're like, well, it's easier for me to stay American. Like, if I had to leave, I'd have to do all this paperwork, and I don't really want to do that. What if God called us to something a little bit more difficult? Let's continue reading. And I'm going to read verse 20 again. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a, <clears throat> excuse me, were you a bond servant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. So, our value is found in Jesus, not in the circumstances of our life. What if we're in a condition of bond servitude? <laughs> now, if you're like me, you read that and you think slavery. And our idea of slavery is early American slavery in which all the rights of a person were negated and they were treated like garbage and they essentially just did manual labor and they couldn't get free, they couldn't buy their way to freedom. If they ran away, they were brought back and put under terrible conditions again. They were given no dignity in and of themselves. That's not the idea of bond servitude that we have here. In fact, if you want to hear a sermon about the differences between our idea, our conception of slavery, and what was happening culturally in biblical bond servitude and slavery, um, Good News Church just up the road here did an awesome uh, sermon a couple of, it's been a couple of months ago now, um, and the, the end of their series in First Timothy, where, where he talks about some of the differences and why it matters. Um, so I'd encourage you to look at that on their website. <laughs> but that's not the idea. When we talk about a bondservant, we're not talking about the early American idea of slavery. Um, for one thing, there was a time limit. Usually it was a long time limit. Um, when, when your life expectancy is 40 years and you've got a 30-year uh, sentence or certain 30-year thing, like that's a long time sentence. Um, but there was a definite end date for most servitude. Um, you could own property and, you know, keep it to yourself. You could own your own house. You have your own living space. Um, and you could save up the money that you earned. You earned a paycheck. You could save up the money that you earned and ideally buy your own freedom. Pay your master for yourself in which you would become what they called a freedman. Now, if you're a slave, a servant who has worked their whole life for a master and you know their household well, and you buy your freedom, what job do you take the next day? Why? Why would you take the same job? Because it's what you know. So oftentimes, that's exactly what happened. You've worked your whole life with this family. You have a relationship with this family. You're used to using a paycheck from this family. So when you buy your freedom, there are many times where the where the servant would come to the master and say, I'm buying my freedom, and here's my application, I'd like to be hired. <laughs> Where it's like, I know, I know we've had a different kind of arrangement, and now I'm a freedman, and, and so I have the ability to make my own decisions, but the decision that I make is to continue to serve you. Because we have these relationships, I know the job really well, there's nobody more qualified for this than me, I'm not overqualified, like all of the things that, we, that get in our way of finding new employment are not there. So look at this in verse 22. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freedman of the Lord. A freedman. 
Somebody who has their freedom purchased and then chooses to serve the master again? We're bond servants of Jesus and freedmen of Jesus. Where he has paid for our freedom, we now turn to him and say, I will serve you. I, I, I have this relationship with you and I want to continue to serve you. And so imagine that you're a servant, that you're a bond servant, that you're somebody who's in somebody's house, you're constantly serving them, you, whatever they say, you jump to it and you do it. You might have a lot of responsibility. You have the ability to own your own property, but, but you're a bond servant. There's a master over you. And you come to Christ. And you say, well, Christ is Lord over all. Like, my allegiance should be to him first. Like, maybe I should just run away because I'm free in Christ, right? I'm just going to run away from this. Like, I, I'm going to get out of this bondage. He says, no, if you were called, if the phone rang and you were called as a servant, stay a servant. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself the opportunity. That seems a little bit backwards. Stay in the condition that you were called, but if there's an opportunity, take it. I don't know if you've ever heard of this symptom. It's called the, the greener grass symptom. <laughs> we, have an, we have this idea that we look at our conditions and where we are at and the circumstances of our life. And we're intimately familiar with all of the details and how they play out. And we look at the, all the conditions and circumstances of somebody else's life as we can see them, which is not always the same kind of knowledge that we have of our own circumstances. And we say, I'd rather do that. I'm a bondservant, and yet I want to be a freedman. I want to be free. Like, I want to do that. And we get so focused on the other circumstances that we don't have that A, we do a bad job serving Jesus in the circumstances that we do have, and we build up this expectation that if I actually get over to that other field, it's going to be wonderful, life's going to be easy, and guess what? You're still going to have to cut the grass there too. So if you're a bond servant, stay a bond servant. But if you have an opportunity to be free, then be free. It's better to be free. But don't let that idea of being free captivate your attention. Don't get the greener grass syndrome because life isn't going to be perfect when you're free. You're still going to have to make choices every single day to follow Jesus when you're free. Grow where you're planted has been a, uh, it's almost a cliche to say now, but I'm kind of thinking that it's true. Whatever country you were born into, grow where you were planted. Whatever condition of servitude, grow where you were planted. Whatever socioeconomic status you were born into, because some of us had no control over how much money our parents spent when we were kids. Like, that's all of us. And do I, f like, and, and this is something as I grew older and I understood, like, wow, my parents had a lot of money. I didn't know when I was a kid how much money my parents had. And they're not here this morning, so we're, we can talk about it. But, and they're retired now, so they don't have any money now, so it's, it's okay. But I'm just saying, when I was young, I didn't know how, much, how blessed we were financially. And as I got older and understood, I was like, oh my gosh, like, I was a spoiled kid, and I didn't know it. And so now do I feel bad because I had money then? I didn't know it. Like, but I can't help that that's the family that I was born into. And so the question becomes is what do I do with that? If these are the circumstances of my life, shall I beat myself up 
and sell everything and, 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 and make myself miserable in order to do penance because I was blessed when I was younger? Or if I had nothing when I was born, shall I consider myself to be less than human because I didn't have what my neighbors had or the other kids at school had, that I wasn't dressed the same way? There are circumstances of our life that we just can't change. There are circumstances that we can change. If you have the opportunity for freedom, then be free. But don't beat yourself up waiting for that day. Don't kill yourself to, make, to, to, to climb the ladder. You can trust Jesus where you're born. He can be honored in poverty and in wealth. And in fact, despite our own inclinations and what we would think would be easier, it's easier to honor him in poverty than it is in wealth. At least that's what Jesus says, if you want to take him at his word. The divine perspective is right there in verse 24, or right there in verse 23. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. You're a bondservant of Jesus. You've said, I'm free to make whatever decision that I want, and yet I want to follow Christ, and so there are some decisions I won't make, not because I can't. I can, I can make that decision. I can choose to sin, but there's something in me that doesn't want to anymore. He's changing my heart. That's not going to honor my master. That's not going to make him happy, and I, don't, I want to make him happy. We're bondservants of Christ, and our value is found in Jesus and not in the circumstances of our life. And if Paul can write that to bondservants, in the Roman Empire, I feel like that's probably true of us and all the freedom and liberty that we enjoy. Verse 24, So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, let him remain. There let him remain. And I feel like maybe if we stopped there, just stay where you're at, it could be discouraging. Like, oh, I'll just... Keep doing the same thing I've always done. But that's not where the verse ends. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. That's the key that makes the difference. If God comes into your circumstances and redeems them, you find ways to honor him in them, you'll be blessed there, whatever that may be. In sickness and in health, and wealth and poverty, whatever it is. So, just a couple of questions. What cultural assignment might God use for his glory in your life? See, I don't know what your cultural assignments are. I mean, I can look at you and say, y'all were assigned white. Um, Jesse would say, I can hear you guys clap and know that you were assigned white. That's another joke. Um, but what are, your, what are your cultural assignments? What family were you born into? What cultural economic level were you born into? What place are you in geographically? Are you in the forest? Are you in the shores? We're in Ocala, Marion County. What's the cultural assignment that you're in? And how might God want to use you in your cultural assignment for his glory? If you're a teenager and you're going, man, like I just can't wait to get out of this small town. Like I hate this town. I just tell you, every small town is the same. Everywhere you go is a small town. 
So honor God in your small town, wherever you're assigned. And if there's something in that that you want to pray for, something in that that you're just not sure, like, I'm really uncomfortable that God gave me this cultural assignment. Like, let me pray with you about that. And there's a prayer card in the seat in front of you. Write something down, and we can pray with you for it. How could seeing Jesus as your master change the way you interact with him? If we are bondservants of Christ, and he is our master, we are serving in his household, he makes the rules, he drops the paycheck, how does seeing him in that light change the way you interact with him? Because sometimes I interact with Jesus and I feel like I'm free to negotiate. Like, yeah, Jesus, I'll give you this, but I'm going to take that over there because this is what I want to do. And you might be able to pull that with your boss if you've got a good relationship with your boss, but like that only goes so far. At some point, the boss is going to say, this is my company. Get in or get out. <laughs> so how could seeing Jesus as your master, bond servants of Christ, change the way that you interact with him? And if that brings up some kind of a question in your mind, like there's a card in front of your thing. There's a question you can write down. How does this actually work if I'm a bond servant of Jesus? I don't understand. And finally, and probably the, uh, the hardest and the one that he ch- hits each of us is, will you choose to trust Jesus to be your master? Um, verse 23, you were bought with a price. Jesus has already paid in full for everything that we needed. The separation that we experienced from God that we were born into, our, our cultural assignment, essentially our human assignment, because we were born after Adam, was sin. And Jesus said, I'm going to pay for all of this, and I'm going to reconcile you. I'm asking you to do is trust me for that. And so if you're here this morning and you say, well, I like learning about Jesus, and I like the way that you talk, and it kind of makes sense to me, but like, I'm not sure what to do with Jesus. Like, I'm just, this is the invitation like, to choose to trust Jesus as your master. Like, I don't like the idea of Jesus getting to tell me how to live my life. I'm sorry. But if you could exchange the circumstances of your life for true life found in Christ, like, the cost differential is enormous. You trade in something dying and perishing for something that can never be taken away in everlasting life. So will you choose to trust Jesus to be your master? There's a connect card that you can write down that you want to make that decision. And we just want to pray with you through that. I know it seems silly to write stuff down on a card. Um, but this is the hard part of our gathering on Sunday morning. Like we don't gather here just to get a pep talk, just to you know, feel good. Like, okay, I took a shower this morning. Like, I'm ready for the week. Like, we come and we engage with God's word and God's spirit works in our hearts in order that he might change how we walk throughout the rest of the week. And sometimes we come in and, and, and we feel like church is a, therm, a thermometer and it's telling us where we're at. Like, you look at a thermometer and it tells you what the temperature is. And the difference between a thermometer and a thermostat is a thermostat tells the room what the temperature is going to be. 
So there's times where we come to church and we're like, okay, I feel kind of bad about myself. The thermometer said that I was not at the right temperature. And what Jesus wants is for this to be a thermostat type of space where you come in and say, okay, I've got the temperature of what the room is and I also have seen what it is that Jesus wants to make it to be. So this is the hard part of the, of the service and this is the hard part of the sermon is to say, okay, we've, we've been through these things. Now what is it that we do? How is it that we take the next step? And the simplest way that I can think of is to use these cards, but it doesn't stop there. Whatever the conversation is that God has grown in your heart, let's have it. Either you and me or me and Ryan or somebody else in the body, or not me and Ryan, but you and Ryan. So you get what I'm saying. Consider these questions. Let's pray together and reflect on how God's speaking this morning before we close together and say, let's pray.